first of all, don't worry. Dan preaches a lot shorter than I do, so. <laughs> um, I love that. That's one of my favorite hymns. I love that song. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's correct and impossible. Like, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to give him the smallest portion of what he's given to me. And the beautiful thing about the song is it states this true thing that all to him I owe. And, beloved, remember, he exacts nothing of our debt from us, only from himself. So it's a beautiful song. It is, it's a, a wonderful thing for a pastor. It's an exciting thing when you get to welcome somebody into your pulpit that preaches the gospel more clearly than you do and better than you do or that you could ever hope to, and that's what your people get to hear. And uh, this is where I want to be, you know, as a as a preacher. And so several years ago, if I'm remembering my, my times and everything correctly, it was probably 2016. Um, I had been convicted for a long time about different things I believed or the way that I preached and, and my, you know, my attitude and demeanor towards the people in my charge and things like that. And there were different speakers and, and friends that were beginning to kind of shepherd me into the truth a little more deeply, a little more clearly. And one of the resources I found at the time was, um, again, if I'm remembering everything to, uh, correctly, that this group called Christ Hold Fast and these guys that just preached the gospel in a way I couldn't believe I had never heard before. And um, the more clarity, the more, and, and there were two, you know how, you have memes or, or, you know, on the computer where there's a picture and a statement on it and something like that. And there were two from this guy that it said Daniel Emery Price. I had no idea who that was, but there were two that changed, were so seminal in my thinking, I've never forgotten them. And before I let him come and speak, I just want to tell him to you. The first was this, and you've heard me quote this, and I think you've heard me give credit to him for it. But he says, Christianity is not for the little engine that could it's for the train wreck that can't. That's one of my favorite lines in the world. And then, how about this one? This one blew my world apart. I love this. He said, I want absolutely nothing to do with a Christianity that tries to make people look like they don't need Jesus. And I, I, I love that. I am so thankful that Eric and Daniel are here uh, for, for, for me. I'm gonna, I'm like at a buffet today. I'm so excited. So I, I am thankful for Eric and Daniel being here. I'm gonna stop now and I'm gonna introduce, uh, Daniel Emery Price to you. And I, beloved, this is the gospel. This is Christ crucified. Alright? So rejoice, Daniel. Please come. Well, thank you, Tony. I don't know if I'm going to say anything better than, than that. I mean, the, the things that people put on memes are usually the best things that you say. So, uh, we'll, we'll see. So, you might know, um, that, uh, I'm, I'm not a Baptist, but I come from, uh, Arkansas, which is where the last Southern Baptist Convention president lived and his church is real close to me at my house and I know a bunch of people all my friends are Baptists so very familiar and uh, 
as he was talking about the uh, preaching shorter, we'll see if that how that goes. Usually that's the case. Whenever I invite my friends to to the to the Lutheran church where I go, they they are usually in awe of how short the service is, and they and they're like, "That's wild! How short your service is? Uh, why is that?" And we always say, "Well, the real reason, if you really want to know, is we're trying to beat the Baptists to lunch." <laughs> what it's really about that Perkins fills up quick and we don't want to we don't want to wait too long uh, just to tell a couple other stories from the pulpit you know so that's the real reason um, a few years ago uh, I heard a, a pastor give a sermon series and he, uh, he was giving a sermon series on abiding in Christ and this seems like a decent thing to give a sermon series about. And what he did is he he took the word abide and he made it into an acronym. This is usually a bad idea. This is getting too clever, usually. But he, he turned it into an acronym. He said, we're going to talk about abide. And here's what I want you to think about when you hear the word abide. Think about this. Always be intentionally Doing everything. Now, I don't even know if that's good English, but I thought, wait a minute, that always be intentionally doing everything. And what happened in the course of this series is he would say, he was saying that to abide in Christ is to, to constantly be intentional about all the things that you do. So you always have, you always have your abiding with Christ in mind about about everything. And at the, at, I think this sermon series lasted uh, four weeks. And by the end of it, I was like, man, abiding in Christ is very difficult. Uh, this, is, this is quite the challenge to abide in Christ. And, and he used this text that when I was younger, had had sort of been a text that haunted me a little bit. It might have done that for you as well. It's in John 10. You can turn there or you can just listen to me read it. Uh, in John 10, uh, start, or sorry, I'm sorry, John 15, starting in verse 1. John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this. He says, I am the, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not, and every branch that does bear fruit, sorry, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I remember, I want to continue a little bit further in that text in a minute, but I remember thinking, and he, as a kid, as a teenager, that this was kind of terrifying, but every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And when this pastor was preaching this sermon series, and I was an adult then, uh, that anxiety increased. It, it, didn't be, it wasn't relieved at all. There's an anxiety that can creep up in the, two, in the first two verses of John 15. It reads simply, if you just want to take it sort of at face value, if you bear fruit, you're in. If you don't, you're out. You can present a Jesus sometimes 
and a gospel sometimes that sounds like this. You need to believe in Jesus and you need to bear fruit because you don't want to experience what he's going to do to you if you don't. This is a Jesus that I sort of believed in for a long time. A Jesus that I was wanting desperately to believe in because I was scared to death of what he might do to me. If you're a parent, you you know that this is not a good way to parent. Like if your kids simply obey you, if they simply listen to you because they're scared to death of what's going to happen, if they don't, I would hope that most of us would say, well, that's not that's not a good father. I mean, a father that simply parents out of fear. If if your kid uh, won't won't cross the street without looking both ways, because, you know, he knows that when he gets home that you're going to beat him within an inch of his life if he does that. You know that that's not obedience, right? It's, it's just fear. It's, it's like screaming at your spouse to love you. You scream. I mean, imagine if I go home to my wife today and I say, what I need you to do is just love me more. You need to love me. She's like, okay, all right, I love you. Then I, I, I totally love you. Have I, have I, have I gotten what it is that I've desired? I mean, I've, I've gotten the words. She's said it. Is that what that is, though? Have I, have I really? Has my wife really loved me now? No, she just wants me to stop yelling at her. She's scared. She doesn't want me to leave. There's a, there was a, a, a band. It's an emo band. I know this is shocking. I was in a band back in the day. Uh, it didn't work out. Then I became a worship leader instead. That's how it worked. Then that didn't work out because uh, I wasn't that great. Uh, I was a good guitarist, but I wasn't a good singer. And you got to be able to sing to lead worship. So that didn't work. And so uh, then I became a theologian. So you don't have to be able to sing. Anyway, there's this, this emo band back in the day called Death Cab for Cutie. Great band. Uh, I can tell you're all fans. Uh, the, most of the people I talk, most of the churches I go to, big Death Cab for Cutie fans. But they, the singer of this band, they, they, uh, he, he grew up in Catholic church, went to Catholic school. And he had this lyric that said, in Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule, I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black. And I held my tongue as she told me, son, fear is the heart of love. So I never went back. See, that's the impression that, that we get a lot of times from certain ways that texts are interpreted. We, we hear something like the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge, right? Or we hear God said you should fear him. We don't understand what that means. And we apply it that okay, what God wants is for you to be afraid of him. This will make you love him. The guy from Death Cab for Cutie said, look, I, I heard that. And the second I was able to get out of that, I never went back. See, fear isn't the heart of love. Nobody, nobody really wants to be loved because they're feared. That's a, that's a dictator. So fear is not the heart of love. And it's not, it's not the heart 
of fruit bearing either. If, if you look at how Jesus continues in this text, he, he then says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What is this word that makes you clean that he talks about? So he says, look, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I take away. Then he says, hey, already you're clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What does that mean? Those things don't seem to go together. Like, well, did you just change topics? What are you, what is, what are you talking about? What he's doing is saying, we, we, we need to bear fruit here. And, and immediately he believes the disciples are going to say, okay, it's time to start cleaning myself up. Get ready to bear some fruit. You were talking about being pruned. Let's get that going. I'm going to, I'm going to straighten myself out so that I can be a good fruit bearing person because I don't want to be cast out. I don't want you to do whatever it is that you're going to do to me if I don't have this happen. He says, Hey, hold on now. You're already clean. And you didn't do that. I did that. I did that with a word. I spoke you clean. What, how, what is that? What do you mean you spoke me clean? What, what he means is that he has given them this word of forgiveness. This is uh, the, old, the old school word absolution. That Jesus has absolved his disciples. He has done away with their sin. He has spoken a word of forgiveness. He has declared them right with God. He has said, you are mine. You belong to me. So the clean thing, the cleanliness thing, the straightening yourself up thing, that's not how this fruit bearing is going to happen. I've already given you that. You've already got that. What we need to talk about is you abiding with me. Abiding in me. Now, you want a low-pressure statement in the heart of something that can cause some anxiety? It's this one right here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you can get over the initial offense of being pathetic, that you can't do anything, how many things can you do apart from Christ according to Jesus? Of course, you can do lots of sinning. I'm talking about fruit-bearing things, good things. How many of those things can you do apart from him? He says, none. Now, if you can get over the initial offense of being like, well, I could probably do something. How about I can contribute a little bit to what you're already doing? He says, no, you can't do anything apart from me. If you can get over that, it's sort of the pressure's off. Oh, so you're not actually relying on me to bear this fruit at all, are you? Yeah, you're saying this fruit has to come, but now you're telling me that I can do no things to do this, to get this fruit going. That's a quandary right there. You see, this is where this gets dangerous, to be intentionally doing everything. I feel like there's a component to this acronym that's missing, like, you, am I going to start trying to do some things apart from Christ? 
when I'm always intentionally doing everything? See, the question is not this, okay? So if you're, well, you're thinking about fruit, who, who in here would like to bear good fruit? Does everyone like to do that? I think every Christian would like to do that. Okay, you want to bear good fruit. The question is not this, then. The question is not, am I bearing fruit? It is not. This is a question you should ask yourself if you want to bear good fruit. Am I trying to do something, anything, apart from Christ? If you want to bear fruit, the question you need to ask is what am I trying to do apart from Christ? Lack of effort is not, is not the reason for lack of fruit bearing. Lack of effort is not the reason. The reason somebody's not bearing fruit is not because they're not trying hard enough. The enemy of fruit bearing is this. Self-sufficiency. The people, the Christians who bear the most fruit for the kingdom of God are the people who are most dependent on Christ. You want to, you want an example of this? I think Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 is a good example of this. I'll just read it. Listen to this story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. All the ladies should underline this part of this text right here. Distracted with much serving. Next time somebody's like, I need you to serve the thing. Be like, I don't want to be distracted with much serving today, though. It's in the Bible. It didn't work out well. There's too much serving going on. I'm going to be distracted. I think I'm going to. Not do that this time. Not that you don't need to serve at all. But just so you know, you could be distracted with much serving. She's distracted with much serving. And she goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do this all alone? This, If you've been in church at all, this sounds very familiar. She's left me to do this all alone. Tell her to help me. And Jesus says to her this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Put this in a modern context. Jesus is coming to Moundsville Baptist Church. He is coming, and he is going to do some teaching. And there you are. You have volunteered to make sure everything is just so. I mean, it's Jesus. He's coming to your house. And there's this other lady. And she's just sitting there, just listening to all the words he said. You're back there. The coffee, the donuts, all the things. You are intentionally doing everything right now. Because Jesus is in the house. And you're like, man, this lady over here. This is ridiculous. This is, this is so selfish. I can't believe this is going on. And then you get, you get so bold in your self-righteousness that you say, go up to Jesus himself and say, hey, you're going to tell my sister to help me out? 
This is ridiculous. I've been in the kitchen this entire time. And it turns out that Jesus didn't care about the coffee and donuts at all. And he says to you, look, you're worried about all the wrong things. And she's chosen the good portion. And if you think that I'm going to take that away from her, you are wrong. See, this is what rest and abiding look like. Sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus. What is Mary doing? She's abiding. You know what the, you know what the word abide means? It means to not leave. You just stay right there. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything. Abiding is the absence of doing. You're staying right where you are. This is what Mary's doing. She's abiding at the feet of Jesus. Now, he says that one thing is necessary. Jesus says that to, to Martha. He says one thing is necessary. What is that thing? Stay right here. This is not a very difficult one necessary thing. Sit at my feet. Listen to me. Hear my words. One thing. He says one thing is necessary. That's the thing. Now, this is, the, this is true. And I, some of you might be thinking this. This sounds very lazy. This guy is 100% telling us that we don't have to do anything. This guy is, is, is promoting laziness, slothfulness, all kinds of seven deadly sins this guy is trying to get us to commit here. Well, I, first of all, nothing wrong with doing just what are you doing it for? We'll get to that. But this is what's true. True rest, rest in Christ, abiding in Christ, the, the way that Martha and Mary, the, the way that Mary does it in the story, this will always be confused with being lazy or idle. Even the smallest amount, even, this, even uh, those with even the smallest amount of self-sufficiency refuse to be reduced to this kind of humble abiding. So the thing that, that, that makes you not want to do that is, but I could do something. We'd much rather be distracted with much serving. The, the old Adam, this is a, a old Martin Luther thing. He talks about the old Adam that, that's part of you that still likes sin a little bit. You know, that part of you. That's not quite completely dead. That part that you got to be raised from the dead on the last day to be rid of. That's sin nature. Uh, he wants to escape from the feet of Jesus to go help Martha wash the spiritual dishes. That's what he wants to do. Because there he can find a little bit of self-justification. There he can find something to put a little bit of trust in. Some kind of work that you perform that you can kind of lean on. So you could feel you could feel confident that that was that looked like a little bit of fruit popping out right there. The same Jesus who says abide in me also says, "Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." See, abiding is finding rest 
at the feet of Jesus. It's coming just as you are, hearing his word that makes you clean, this word of absolution, this word of pardon, this word of forgiveness, and not leaving for some independent pursuit of nicer looking fruit. It's not leaving the feet of Jesus so that you can go and try to do something apart from him. Years ago, I owned a screen printing company and I was uh, I, I was a church planner and I was writing a whole bunch and I was podcasting. I was doing all these things. And I was working myself to death. I mean, I was working nonstop. I was intentionally doing all the things. <laughs> Sleeping like four hours a night, never home, because I was doing the Lord's work and also paying the bills. So he understood. And I went, and over time, one day I woke up and I did not feel good. Like I thought there was something wrong. Like I didn't know what it was, but like something deep inside me felt wrong. It was kind of freaky. So I actually went to the doctor, which I never do. Like, I better go to the doctor. Like, something's off here. And he asked me this question. They do all the things. They did an EKG and they do the blood work and everything. He's like, I don't know. You seem fine. So what's your, uh, like, what's your week like? And I'm like, well, it's like this. And then I go through all the things. And he's like, okay. I've got the prescription for you. I know what's wrong. And he takes a piece of paper and he writes down these words. You need to do nothing more often. So you don't ever do nothing. You gotta rest, man. Now, if you continue with what Jesus says, he's going to say this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown to the fire and burned. Now, remember, he said, if you bear fruit, You're going to get pruned, you're going to bear more fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you're going to get cast out. But then he says, to bear that fruit, you've got to abide with me. So now he's shifted and saying, if you want, if you're worrying about being thrown out, it's not the fruit you need to worry about because you're not going to get that on your own. You can't do anything to get that. So we have to switch to abiding. If you don't abide in me, that's how you're going to get thrown out. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandment and abide in his love. So God is glorified as his children bear uh, bear fruit through abiding in Christ. God is glorified when his children bear fruit, and they bear fruit through abiding in Christ, abiding in the love of Christ, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. Now, hold up. Try to pull a fast one on me here. I saw that part where he said, keep my commandments. I saw that. You're just going to skim over that? You're not going to talk about keeping the commandments? He said, he said, keep my commandments. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's what he said. I agree. Because, you know, who am I to argue with Jesus? I've been sitting at his feet listening to him and he just said it. Do you realize this? I didn't know this. I didn't know this my whole life. I didn't, I didn't come out of the womb knowing this. Would have been a lot easier for me if I did. That the word keep and the word do are different words. Let me ask you something. Like when you hear keep, do you think do? You do, don't you? Why? Why do you think that? You wouldn't think that if I said to you, Tony, I want you to keep this watch for me. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So many things to do. You mean you just want me to hang on to it for you? Yeah, just hang on. Just kind of know where it is. Okay, I'll be back for it. Just I need you to I need to know where it's located. Just hang on to it for me, all right? What are you asking me to do, man? I'm not asking you to do anything, okay? I'm just asking you to keep this for me. You hear keep? But what you think is do. And even in Greek, these words are not the same. Not the same words. You know where the word keep comes from? It comes from uh, the word like a, like a keep, like a castle, like a king's keep back in the day. And that's like a stronghold where they would keep things. You know? It's where they kept stuff. Did you know this in the in Hebrew in the Old Testament? Maybe you've heard it reading your Bible in the Old Testament. And you hear this. I want you to be careful to obey all that I've commanded you. You know that there's no Hebrew word for obey. It doesn't exist. No such word. The word that we translate obey is the word listen. This is why over and over again in the Old Testament, God says, hear, O Israel, which is a way of saying, listen, O Israel. And when God says, when you read, be careful to commit, to keep or to obey all that I've commanded you, the word there in Hebrew is listen to. Now, what am I, what am I saying here? Am I saying that you don't need to do any of that stuff? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that's not what he said. So don't hear me saying that you doesn't matter if you obey what God says. Doesn't matter if you do any of the commandments. But what I am saying is that if you hear keep and you think do, you are not hearing the words that Jesus said. And if you read obey everything that I've commanded you, that's not exactly what he said. And it matters because of this. What God has been after from the beginning in the Old Testament and when Jesus comes up, he wants your ear. That's why he said Mary had chosen the right thing. The one thing that's necessary. All I've ever desired is for my people to listen to me. Listen to my words. Hang on to them. Don't discard them. 
When I say, here are my words, don't, don't not know where those are. When Jesus says, keep my commandments, what he's asking you to do is to listen to him. He doesn't want you to hear his words and disregard what he has to say. He doesn't want you to say, I don't know what God has to say. I'm in the kitchen watching the, washing the dishes. He wants you to abide in him, listen to his words, to, to keep them. This is why he like loved David so much, who was a notorious sinner. But David was always like, your words. I love your words. Like He wasn't awesome at keeping commandments, by the way. He is not very good at this at all. It's not just the David and Bathsheba stuff. Read his life. This dude is not a great commandment keeper if keep means do. But he's an awesome commandment keeper if keep means I hear you. I'm listening to you. I'm not always following up on all of this stuff perfectly, but I've never discarded your word. I don't throw it away. I don't reject everything that you have to say. And when I'm told to repent by a prophet, I repent. See, fruit bearing is not so much a command as it is a promise made by a God who cannot lie that if you abide in him, if you sit at his feet, if you listen to his words, if the, if the gospel is constantly pounded into your ears, that he says, I will bear fruit in you if you just stay right there and listen to what I have to say. Listen to this word that has made you clean. Now, prone to wander from there, we all feel that. You know the hymn. Prone to wander, we all feel it. Prone to do something, anything apart from Christ, and it's and it's exhausting. What happens? I have found when you get a hold of the fact that in Christ, God has done everything that is required for your salvation. When you discover that he's not asking you to return any debts, any favors, any grace, but instead wants you to listen to his word, what you will find happens to you is that you will stop worrying about, am I going to bear enough fruit? You will stop worrying about, is God mad at me? Is God up in heaven willing to save me, but always mildly disgusted with me? Is he upset? Does he wish he hadn't done that? Did he make him, does he think he made a mistake? Is he constantly, constantly disappointed in me? Once you know that because of Jesus Christ and what he has done, that none of those things are true, and you stop working to be loved by God, and everybody is prone to do this, this is your natural disposition, that you will think the harder you work, the more God loves you, and that is not true. 
The harder you work, the more that you do, the happier God is with you. That is not true. God cannot be more pleased with you than he is already in Christ. It's not possible. You think, and I think, that even though he has sent his son to shed his blood for you, to save you, you still think that there's something that he thinks would add a little bit of something extra to that, which is preposterous. He's done everything. He can't love you more. He can't be more pleased with you. He can't be more glad that you are his child. And when you understand that, the only way to understand that is to sit at those feet and hear that over and over and over again, to keep his commandment, to hear it. When you get a hold of that, This is what I will tell you about fruit bearing. You stop trying to earn your salvation. You stop trying to maintain your salvation. You stop trying to pay God back. And your neighbor gets the benefits of all that freedom. Because this is the truth. Fruit bearing has to do with your neighbor. What God wants you to do is love and serve your neighbor. These are the commands. I want you to keep these commands. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's how Jesus boils it down. Once you have figured out that God has loved you in Christ, this is going to generate a love for God in you that you know that you no longer have to work for his approval. And now, all of a sudden, you have a bunch of time on your hands to love and serve other people. And this happens naturally. As long as you are concerned with pleasing God and trying to prove to God that you were worth it, you cannot love and serve your neighbor. Listen, if God is super concerned about what I do and don't do, and his disposition towards me swings on the hinges of my, my spiritual performance, I'm sorry, I don't have any time for my neighbor. I have something way more important to worry about, and that's God, who's in charge of heaven and hell, is watching my every move. I can't be concerned with you and your problems. I can't be concerned with loving you. I can only be concerned about trying to figure out how I can make this God happy. But if you just calm down for a second and sit at his feet and listen to this word that makes you clean. Suddenly, your neighbor becomes a gift to you. And fruit starts popping out all over the place. So I want to give you this this word right now. This word that makes you clean, that is the one thing that is needed. Let me give you that word. That word is this. That God in Christ has forgiven all your sins. That you are forgiven and loved. That the Lord has dealt gracefully with you. And if you want to abide in something Abide in that, and I promise you, because God has promised you, that he will bear much fruit in you. Amen.